Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show, I talk to the stars of Creed 3, Tessa Thompson and Jonathan Majors, two very bright stars in the Hollywood firmament. Plus, we also look at an eye-opening and somewhat troubling new documentary all about sustainable fashion called Fashion Reimagined. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty. Or you can email the show, screentime at Newstalk.com. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. And uh, life is treating you well. I spent a few days in a log cabin in a forest in Longford. And had a delightful time. Since last I spoke to you, one funny thing happened in that we were getting into a swimming pool at one point and uh, I don't have a lot of grey hair, but there's a, appears to be a clump at the back. Or I found this out because two of my three children noticed this as we were getting into a plunge pool and they were delighted. They were like, look, he's got grey hair. And it kind of became a running joke over the four days we were away, my grey hair. It's funny the things kids latch onto. But there you go. That's what's happening in my world. But while I was away, I did miss this. All right, I've got a list here i got to thank. Um, Martin, thank you. Um, I'm going to fly through this because I'm quite nervous. Um, Martin, Colin, Brendan, Kerry, the cast, the crew, the producers, um, Fox Searchlight, Ireland, Brando. <laughs> This is for my son as well, Brando, for my mother, um, and also for the kids that are dreaming to, to be something from, from the area that I came from. This is for you. So. Yes, on Sunday night's BAFTAs, that was Barry Keoghan winning for Best Supporting Actor. To me, richly deserved, incidentally, but to me, that's a great speech. That has it all. It was about 35 seconds of talking, uh, emotion, bit of humour, slightly nervous, quick, 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 and then ends with a very beautiful sentiment to people from where he comes from. I thought it was great. And we're going to be hearing a lot of speeches in the coming months from movie stars who often get it terribly wrong, but that was that was right on the money. And again, Barry Keoghan is great in The Banshees of Inish Air and, and plays that kind of wise fool character. He's brilliant in it, if you haven't seen it. Now, this week in TV, I was watching this. Toby Fleischman awoke one morning inside the city he'd lived in all his adult life. Many thoughts had crossed Toby's mind in the hours since he was informed that his ex-wife dropped the kids off a full day earlier than expected. At four in the morning. Four in the morning. Sorry, I'm angry all over again. Yikes, dude. Toby was forced to ask the question that occurred to him nearly every few minutes since his separation. How did I get here? Todd says you don't play tennis or golf? Mm, Yeah, I play basketball. Good for you. I did not become a doctor to get rich, okay? I did it to live a meaningful life. Money doesn't buy you happiness. Oh, Toby, of course it does. What, are you crazy? You've reached Rachel Fleischman. Is she still gone? I'm starting to think that it hasn't really gone on this long, you know? What if something has happened to her? 
Now, that is a new series on Disney Plus, which is available to stream as of this Wednesday. And it's all there. It's all up. Everything has dropped because it was released in America a good while ago at this stage. Jesse Eisenberg plays Toby Fleischman. This is called Fleischman is in Trouble. Jesse Eisenberg, a divorced husband. And this was based on a very successful novel of the same name, which I never read, but I'd heard about because it would seem to go gangbusters for a while. And it's all about, I was going to say middle-aged man. I'm not sure it's a sensitive issue for me. What, what, what with my gray hair, a youngish man, uh, who is newly divorced. He's gotten divorced from his wife played by Claire Danes. Uh, they had a pretty torturous relationship, it seems. And He's found this new thing in his life, which is dating apps, and he's taking to them with aplomb. Uh, since he's gotten divorced, he can't get over the look he's having in the bedroom with various different sexual partners that he's meeting on these apps. And by his own admission, he wasn't terribly successful as a younger man, but this world of dating apps has opened the world to him. So we encounter him having various affairs with people that he's meeting on these various apps. But what's also happening is that his wife, who he's really not on good terms with his ex-wife at this stage, has gone missing. Or at least he thinks she has. He, uh, she's gone away for a yoga weekend, left him with his two children, one of whom is very annoying because she's entering those teenage years and kind of hates him. And he's landed with his two children when he wasn't meant to have them. And his wife continues to stay missing for longer than one would think is healthy. He starts to worry amid having all sorts of wild sexual encounters with different women. And this is very entertaining so far. I've only watched two episodes. Jesse Eisenberg is a quirky actor. Uh, he just has a different way of being. He he He's odd in himself somewhat it seems and does awkwardness very well and kind of happiness very well and sadness very well i guess i'm saying he's a good actor but he's an unusual actor he's a doctor and it's a lot of wealthy people he's not terribly comfortable in that environment and the very entertaining nature of this show is these different sexual encounters he's having but also the growing dread that's entering his life about his missing wife but also maybe about the state of the modern world or something along those lines. It's also quite funny in places. Claire Danes, we see a lot of her, even though she's missing, in flashback how they met, how disastrous their romance became. And this is really good so far. I've only watched two episodes. There's a lot more of them. It is on Disney+. Plus. Fleischman is in trouble. Well worth your streaming time on Disney+. Plus. Now, if you're a recent convert to this show, you'll never have heard me talk about this. However, if you've been here from the early days, this show's about four years old now, uh, you'll have heard me waxing lyrical about this show. You gonna help me or not? $300,000! Thereabouts. Thereabouts. A little tip. When begging, it's good to have an exact number. You'll get it all back. We'll set up a payment plan, say $1,000 a month. <laughs> Math isn't really your strong suit, is it? Why? Why? That's 25 years. You know how old I'll be when you finish paying me off? Dead. Okay, how about if I push it up to 1100 a month? Still dead. You didn't get the sitcom. Yeah. They said they'd keep you in mind for a recurring role or maybe a guest spot. Please don't sugarcoat it. I'm a grown man. I'm not sugarcoating. I'm... I'm lying. 
So how's your love life? You're still seeing, uh, what's her name, Triscuit? Tristan, and no. Oh, that's too bad. She was kind of cute. Well, we didn't have much to talk about. You know, she was half my age. Listen, half your age is still an old woman. Now, that was two clips stuck together, which you're never meant to do, but I just wanted to give you a flavor of the wonderful The Kaminsky Method on Netflix. Uh, I had cause to rewatch a lot of this this week because on our series Boxed on the Pat Kenny Show, we were re-looking at this. In case you don't know, The Kaminsky Method sees the great Michael Douglas play an aging actor who's teaching students how to act, even though that's not the job he really wants. He wants to be a full-time actor, but his career didn't quite work out the way he wanted. He had some success, but not as much as he wanted. Opposite him is the wonderful Alan Arkin, who plays his agent and longtime friend. And they're both basically negotiating older life, life in your 70s and beyond, and life's disappointments. But they're also celebrating the glorious friendship and love that they have for each other. And it is a gorgeously heartfelt and funny show where Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin do this glorious world-weary thing. Uh, we got a great reaction on the Pat Kenny show when we talked about it, and a lot of people got in touch saying they loved it, and, and more people should be aware of it, because the whole three seasons are up there on Netflix. Some criticism that the female characters in it are, are somewhat underwritten, and that may be a fair criticism, but it is quite a joyful show as a study in friendship and and getting older. It's delightful. And Pat, who I always give these recommendations to, said he was going home to watch it based on the clips alone because he really laughed and was really intrigued by it. And I think if you haven't watched The Kaminsky Method, you'll be big into it. Sean Moncrief, if memory serves from a conversation we had, is also a big fan of it as well. Not to name drop my colleagues, but you know, these are the friends I keep. So that's the Kaminsky Method on Netflix. In case you haven't seen it, you should. It is great. And it is all there for your streaming entertainment. Now, next week, this is being released. The one and only Adonis Creed, you're the best pound for pound fighter in the world. Three years ago, it's been a minute since you've been out in these streets. When I walked away from boxing, I walked away with some unfinished business. Now, that is a clip of Creed 3. Creed are these series of boxing movies where we have Apollo Creed's son become a boxer and a pretty successful one at that. And it's part of the Rocky franchise. And I suppose I was, when this came out, the first Creed movie, oh, a good few years ago now at this stage, very skeptical about it. Uh, the idea of kind of creating a Rocky verse, but they have been pretty decent boxing movies. It, it has to be said. Uh, and it was surprising how good they were. And the first one and the second one both delivered. So in the third one, we have Adonis Creed, Michael B. Jordan returning in the third one. His life is going well, having dominated the boxing world. He's been thriving in his career and his family life. But a childhood friend and former boxing prodigy shows up, Damien, played by the great Jonathan Majors. And he resurfaces after a long prison sentence. And he's eager to prove that he deserves a shot in the ring. And there's this face-off between the former friends, Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors. An emotional fight as well as a boxing fight. And to settle the score, Adonis must put his own future on the line to battle Damien in the ring and a fighter 
Damien that is, who really has nothing to lose. And as I say, Creed 3 is the third installment in this very successful franchise that I, I don't think anyone expected to be quite this successful. Michael B. Jordan, who plays Adonis Creed, is directing it this time and he's starring uh, Tessa Thompson, who you're going to hear from in a while, plays Creed's wife in this. But Jonathan Majors plays the baddie, I suppose, or certainly the guy who wants a shot in this one, who becomes the opponent. As I say, he's played by Jonathan Majors, who is an incredibly good actor. He first came to my attention in a wonderful movie, which we raved about in this show, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. He was in Spike Lee's movie, The Five Bloods. He was mentioned last week on this show because he's the new villain in the Marvel Universe, Kang. So his star is, I mean, it was always rising, but he's hes having his moment. So I got to talk to Jonathan Majors about Creed Three, And uh, this is a short interview, and I'll explain why afterwards. John, what's up? So... A really intriguing relationship uh, between you and Michael B in this kind of like a, I don't want to give any kind of spoiler, but a, a Cain and Abel vibe, if I can use a biblical reference. I wonder, I, I noticed that the more actors I talk to, sometimes they spend a lot of time together before the shoot to maybe inhabit what they're going to do together. Did you and Michael spend a lot of time together beforehand or did you just show up on the set and get to it? Well, I think I can, I think it's, it's quite rare what has happened between um, in the making of Creed because Mike Michael P. Jordan, um, our director and Adonis, and, and myself kind of moved around each other a lot before we even landed, you know, in this picture together, and that was kind of the beginning of the relationship. You know, if you if it's there to take if you want to, you know, and okay. we took that, you know, right. and then in the making of it. Uh, I mean, we had chats, we had conversations, you know, um, but there was no, um, no, there was, there was none of that. We were very okay. much, uh, what is it, what is it, what are we trying to do here? Mm -hmm. um, what do we want each other to feel, you know? And there was just so much deep trust mm -hmm. that we just kind of went after it and yeah. things began to develop, you know, as, yes, we had rehearsals and those rehearsals were at a different frequency. Uh, but there was no, as my, as my, there was no fraternizing, <laughs> you know, it was very much rehearsal, uh, okay. and, and building a friendship, uh, and a brother, brotherhood through rehearsals, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, whenever boxing movies come up, people always ask about the training and I know it's such a cliched question, but you are in tremendous shape in this movie. Now I, I've no reason to know what shape you're in you know, throughout the rest of the year or what you were in the rest of your life. But right. is it a, is it a pain in the ass or is it a pleasure to get seemingly that fit? Yeah, uh, it's a pleasure and it's an honor, you know, because you, for me, I was like, you're enter I was entering into, you know, the Rockyverse and, uh, and then the Creed franchise, you know, like what an honor for an actor. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's very few slots. There's a finite amount of movies. There's a, finite amount of roles, you know, sure. and so to, to be offered one, to have the opportunity, um, I've always wanted to be an actor. I've watched Rock Human films my whole life, you know, it's a dream come true in some ways to say, okay, we're going to do that. So, yeah, and also you, you only get one shot at it, you know mm. what I mean? To use, a, moment, to use a boxing you know? analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get, you get one shot at it, you know, you get one, you get one reveal, you get, you get one of those moments and you just want to knock it out. You know, you don't want to let down 
you know, boxers, boxing fans, etc. You know, um, yeah, so you train like a madman. Jonathan Majors there talking to me about his role in Creed 3. Now, that interview was meant to be twice the length that it was, but halfway through, there was this technical issue on their end because I was in a radio studio and it just died the connection and they they couldn't hear me and I could because it was on zoom I could see Jonathan Majors but I could hear all these voices in the background these English voices going we've got a problem can you put in a cable I think we're going to have to go old school this went on for about 10 minutes and then we just had to stop and it got moved on to the next time. So that that was a shorter interview than I intended to bring you with Jonathan Majors. But uh, he is very good in Creed 3. Now, the person playing Creed's wife, who's played his significant other in all the Creed movies, is Tessa Thompson. And she's talking to me after the break. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now before the break, I brought you a chat with Jonathan Majors, who stars in Creed 3. Tessa Thompson plays Michael B. Jordan's Adonis Creed's wife in this. She's a music producer and music artist who's had to stop because of some hearing issues and she is negotiating life with Creed and all his various encounters in and out the boxing ring. They have a daughter, a daughter in this who's hearing impaired, and we'll get into that in the interview, as you'll hear. Tessa Thompson is a tremendous actress. She was in Passing, uh, well, it's two years ago at this stage. She was opposite Ruth Naga, all about this practice of black women who attempted to pass as white women uh, in 1920s America. She was in Thor, Love and Thunder. She was in Westworld. A lot of people remember in that. She's a fantastic actress. She was in Zach Galifianakis's movie version of Between Two Ferns. More of that later. A wonderful actress. Again, a bit like Jonathan Major, Majors, who's feels like her time is very much now. So I had a chat with Tessa Thompson about her role in Creed 3 and a bit more besides. Hello, Tessa. How are you? John Fardy Hi. from News Talk Radio in Ireland. I didn't even let you answer. Sorry. Don't worry. <laughs> That's okay. You know, we do that so often as people. We're always like, how are you? But we don't actually. I do care how you are. Uh, no, I didn't. I wasn't implying that you didn't. I'm just saying it's a, you know, how are you? How are you? No worries. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're well. Listen, I was thinking, is it strange that Michael is now directing you, having acted opposite him in the movies and then to be acting him in this one, but also him being the guy behind the camera? Was that strange or weird in any way? It was not strange or weird in any way. I hate to say it. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't. Because when he was, uh, obviously, when he's my scene partner, he's not technically behind the camera he's he's there with me and I didn't feel that he ever wasn't and then he'll have to run off and go behind the camera and look at what we shot and make sure they had it and come back but um if anything it just took a bit more time than if we you know if there were two of him but it didn't it didn't feel strange or weird I think he he's he's so incredibly gifted he also has been working as an actor since he was nine and the truth is when you act you're also a filmmaker in your way so Mm -hmm. I think he has been sort of training for this as it were his his whole kind of career and, and young adult life so it felt very natural and seamless to me yeah i and it it, it looked that way uh you know i was surprised by all the movies because when I, I i loved rocky when i saw it i was probably far too young to be watching a supposedly violent movie but anyway but i loved the first one and the second one and the third one 
And I remember when I heard about Creed, I thought, this is a bad idea. This smacks of franchise hell. And thankfully, we've been wrong. And the bar the bar has stayed high for all three of these and they're three great movies. You know, when you first signed up, were you delighted when you got the script going, this is actually great, you know, because so many movies aren't. Uh, yes. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't have... Done it if never, it wasn't good. Regardless of whether I've made a bad movie, I never thought it was bad mm. when I was making sure. it. Sure. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have done it, uh, <laughs> which is no disrespect to people that willfully make bad movies, but it takes <laughs> just as much effort to make something bad as it does to make something good. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, uh, yeah, I thought it was really special. Ryan had a, for, for my money, I think whenever you make a, a, a a franchise whenever you remake a movie you should have you ought to have a really good reason to do it yeah and ryan's sort of reason for making the first one really had to do with his relationship with his father mm. and his relationship with these movies yeah and it was a really brilliant idea yeah and the script continued to get more brilliant as we refined and worked on it and he really invited me into that process of collaboration there were so many things that didn't exist on the page in the beginning uh particularly with with regards to bianca so i feel really blessed that i've gotten to to be in these films and to continue to create this character over the course of them um and i yeah I, i'm 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 really proud of these films i continue to be so i'm glad that you i'm glad that you like them yeah i do very much uh your daughter uh is played by a lovely young actress called uh myla davis kent uh you're a michael's daughter in the movie and from my understanding she is she is hearing difficulty herself in real life was that important do you know i mean i know you're not the director but that you actually used a girl with who was ostensibly deaf for the role was that an important part of the process because that's a big debate as you probably know better than me in hollywood that people if you're going to portray someone who is deaf or blind or, or or anything, you know, who has black hair or blue eyes or whatever, that you use a person who actually has. And there's another argument said, well, you should just act these things. But it clearly seemed important for you guys that that you, you chose Miley for this. Yes, Mila. It was Mila. Huge, sorry. Yes, it was hugely. That's the Irish accent. I'm sorry. No, don't you worry. It was uh, it was hugely important. It was never a question. It was never. Uh, yeah. Debate. It was full stop. Yes, yes, yes. And as a matter of fact, there was a deliberate effort to not continue the course of because Bianca is uh, has an autoimmune disorder, uh, which means she has progressive hearing loss. Okay. And it was a, a very clear decision on our part not to allow that to progress um, any further and to have representation for the deaf community actual representation, mm. real representation. And I think that's hugely important for for Mike and for all of us. And I'm really excited that audiences get to be introduced um, uh, to an incredible young actress who happens to be deaf in this movie. Yeah. And also, I think that we get to have um, real representation in the space. Yeah, and that's a good way of putting it, who happens to be yeah. Whatever, blank, blank, blank. You know, on the way in here, I was telling someone, I'm doing a Creed 3 interview, I can't talk, I have to go. And they said, oh, is it Tessa Thompson? And it, it seems to me that last year I spoke to Ruth Negga, you were in that movie Passing, which you were wonderful in. You were in a Thor movie I only saw. I was watching Between Two Ferns a couple of nights ago <laughs> and you were laughing. So it seems to me, a bit like Jonathan, who I was talking to earlier, that your moment is very much now, it seems. You're in lots of things. But maybe... Pete actors in the middle of success don't think of it 
that way. But it seems to me you might be in the prime of your acting chops at the moment. Or how does your career seem to you at the moment? Because from the outside looking in, it seems like you're riding a wave of success. Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm tr- I try not to. F- um, I'm trying not to think about it too much. <laughs> Just take the next job. No, I don't know. Actually, uh, maybe this is like a privilege. Maybe this is a thing you can say when you're not, you know, when you first start acting, you're trying so hard just to get a job, you know, uh, because it's so hard. And I think uh, suddenly when when that's not a concern in the same way, then you get to worry about other things, which is like what kind of job. And then when that's not a concern, you get to worry about the implications of the work that you do Mm. at any given point. Um, and then at a certain point, which maybe I'm entering, you get to actually remind yourself that there are other things to be preoccupied about, like the world around you, um, and your family and your life and other facets of, of, uh, your experience. And, and I think that's like where I'm trying to be a little more is not to, not to have so much of my focus be on work i guess which which maybe is privilege because it's 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 like an honor to work and i love it so much um and i also you know i think the pandemic really shook up so many of us where you Mm -hmm. had to do that thing of being like what am i when i'm not working and Mm -hmm. and really remind yourself of all the other things that are really important to you so i'm trying to hold on to that now when i'm like back in work in a lot of these rooms you know talking to people like me who are asking <laughs> no, com- complicated talking. questions. <laughs> no, 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 no. Stop. This is like a pleasure. This is a pleasure. Well, listen, I'm way out of overtime. Lovely to talk to you and the best okay. luck with whatever you do. Thanks a million. Thanks so much. Tessa Thompson there talking to me about Creed 3 and her acting life and times and a fine actress. And Creed 3, I should say, is in cinemas next week. That's March the 3rd, Friday, March the 3rd. And a very, very good boxing movie. Boxing movies, you know, they can be of a formula. But once you accept that, they can be very entertaining. And this is certainly one of those that is very entertaining. And all the actors from Tessa Thompson to Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan are on are on their game very much so. Incidentally, I mentioned Between Two Ferns. And if you're, again, a recent convert to this show, you'll never have heard me wax lyrical about Between Two Ferns, which is a wonderful web series where Zach Galifianakis plays a really awkward and insulting TV host where he interviews celebrities and he says awful things to them. And it's absolutely hilarious. It was on the Funny or Die channel. It's all online. They're short. They're absolutely hilarious. And he has had everyone from Brad Pitt to Tessa Thompson to Obama and the things he has said to them. Uh, So just as I mentioned to Tessa Thompson, her being in Between Two Ferns, just here's a little flavor of Between Two Ferns when she was on it. Tesla Thompson? No, Tessa, yeah, just Tessa. Like the car. No, no, Tesla. unlike the car, like like, you you took the L out of it. It says Tessa, parenthetically, like the car. But you don't say it like you say the car, because then that's not my name. I drive a Tessa. You were in Creed. Mm Mm-hmm. What's Scott Stapp like? Who? The singer in your band. Were you in, you, it says you were in Creed. No, the movie, not the band. Oh, well, what's Scott Stapp like? I never, I didn't, we didn't meet because they weren't involved in the movie. But would you like to meet him one day? I mean, I, yeah, sure, if, if the opportunity presented itself and I didn't have to drive anywhere, yeah. 
Women are always being told to watch their weight in Hollywood. So why do you think so many actresses could still stand to lose a few pounds? I mean, you look at Hollywood and all the men that get to age gracefully, it looks like they haven't been to a gym. They get to come in disheveled and they look like they need to shower and they're wearing just like some blazer and, and, and be told that they just look distinguished, but really they just look pretty disgusting, so. Yeah, I, I hear you. That's, that's gotta be frustrating. Yeah. That was a clip of Between Two Ferns with Tessa Thompson and Zach Galifianakis. Sometimes if I have a spare moment and I need a little lift, I'll, I'll put on a little bit of Between Two Ferns because it's hilarious. Up next, something very different. Fashion reimagined. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now there is much talk of fast fashion and what to do about it these days. Well, an eye-opening documentary called Fashion Reimagined will be released at the Irish Film Institute, the IFI in Dublin on the 3rd of March. Becky Hutner's documentary follows fashion designer Amy Powney of cult label Mother of Pearl who embarks on a three-year journey to produce a sustainable clothing collection from feel to finish garment and transform the way we engage with fashion. It is quite the journey. Raised off the grid in rural England by activist parents, Amy has always felt uneasy about the devastating environmental impact of her industry. When she wins the coveted Vogue Award for the Best Young Designer of the Year, Amy decides to use the prize money to create a a sustainable collection and transform her entire business. It is not an easy journey, and it's all captured in this fascinating documentary. And I'm delighted to be joined now by Becky Huntner and also by Amy. Hi, guys. Hi, John. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. So Amy is the uh, source of the documentary in some sense. So I'll start with you, Becky, and say, why did you want to do this? And how did you hear about Amy? Yeah, great question. Um, Well, you know, I met Amy in 2017. um, And at the time, I was working for a production company in London called Duck. And Duck specializes in creating uh, filmed content for fashion brands. So I was working on big campaigns for fancy designers and doing a lot of work for London Fashion Week. Um, And one of my assignments was to cover the Vogue Designer Fashion Fund, um, which is awarded each year to the top emerging designer in the UK. And that year, the winner was Amy. So um, I got to film her winning the award and I did an interview with her at her house. Um, and, And afterwards I asked her what was next in her career. And she told me that she was about to embark on a mission to create a sustainable collection from field to finish garment. Um, and that was just a light bulb moment for me because I myself had been on my own sustainability journey for several years, having worked on an environmental documentary in about 2011. Um, and I had made some changes in my own personal life, but, uh, I was really wanting to do something that could perhaps have a bigger impact. You know, how could I use my skills as a filmmaker to bring these issues to light, Um, And so when I met Amy and learned about this journey that she was about to go on, um, I just knew that this was it. This this was that opportunity. Um, And and I was just compelled to follow the story and and pitch the idea to Amy about about a week later and to my boss at Duck Productions. Mm -hmm. Um, And amazingly, they signed on. 
Yeah. So it was a happy dovetailing of events. You found what you were looking for uh, in Amy, I suppose. Amy, I don't want to give any spoilers, but, you know, your attempt to source this fabric to make your own really sustainable clothes is a Herculean task. And that's what we see in the documentary. You have these very principled ideas, but the actual meat and potatoes of doing it is kind of nightmarish and eye-opening. Can you just give us a sense of how difficult that was? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i such a perfectionist, so I definitely had very high standards of what I wanted to achieve, <laughs> much to Chloe's um, dismay. She, yeah. She's my colleague in the film um, and an incredible part of the journey. Um, yeah, it's just, I guess I didn't, we didn't know what, we, we didn't have any preconceived ideas about how we were going to do this. We had our ideals. We had our kind of uh, sort of set morals on what we wanted to do. And we really didn't know what we were about to embark on. You know, we didn't even know where cotton was grown specifically, you know, um, in which countries, et cetera. So for us, we just set to it. We didn't have any preconceived ideas. And what unraveled after that was so much (laughs) more complicated than we thought it would be. Um, So there was a lot of um, heads in hands moment. There was lots of, you know, light and dark times. There was a lot wine drank <laughs> multiple multiple events but um it was very complicated yeah and yeah still is and, and there's some you know scary statistics when you're on this journey and when you're tracing most people's clothes and this kind of counter keeps coming up about the countries and it's like country one country two where something sent from china and then it goes somewhere else into middle of europe and then when it has to be cleansed or recleaned and all and there's just even someone like you who's pretty down with a lot of these things when you went on your own journey it's kind of flabbergasting to in order to do it sustainably and and ethically it's really hard yeah absolutely and i think it's just you know it's down to geography as well like what regions for instance you know produce the specific breed of Mm. sheep but the industry for spinning that yarn doesn't exist anymore there and it's all gone to you know china let's say because it's cheaper over there but then the dyers and the finishers are somewhere else so it's just become this puzzle that's really complicated and people haven't thought it through properly so it's just a broken system i guess yeah yeah and and i don't mean to be a smart ass but it seems quite ironic (laughs) that you know we see you going to Uruguay. Uh, yet, so you have to go to Uruguay. You have to get on a plane to go to Uruguay to attempt to begin this journey. Absolutely. And what you have to remember is supply chains are completely international. I mean, we don't do anything here anymore. The north of England used to be, you know, a hub of textile production. It doesn't exist anymore. You know, people think, you know, uh, knitted garments in Scotland come from sh- Scottish sheep. They absolutely don't. Um, so it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just an international problem and you have to start somewhere. But equally, you don't want to be traveling that much because that goes against everything that you're doing. So you have to be very specific and, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, <laughs> it certainly is. And Becky, as a filmmaker, uh, you know, not that you want Amy to encounter lots of challenges, <laughs> but at the same time, it does make for, you know, good watching because it was such a complicated prom- process to make this no frills brand. No, that is that is very true. You know, as much as it was terrible to watch Amy and Chloe go through all that pain, um, 
um, yeah, I mean, in the end, it just it does create a very engaging and eye-opening story. Um, and bless them for sacrificing themselves and going through all of that because I mean, look what they've look what they're able to look what they've brought to audiences. Um, you know, it's been so educational for people to be able to see these struggles firsthand and to really see what goes on behind the scenes of making our clothes and what it takes to make a, a quote-unquote sustainable collection. Yeah, it, it takes a huge amount. Amy, I'm sure you're asked this a bit, but one of the really touching moments in the movie, I thought, was that uh, Becky follows or, or gives us a sense of your childhood. And I mentioned it was kind of off grid. I, I'm not really sure what that phrase means, but it was a, a very, what would you say, earthy child? <laughs> yes, earthy. Some would say pleasant childhood with your parents who wanted to live as sustainably as possible. And this was back when sustainability wasn't supposedly as cool as it was. But there's a lovely, sweet moment in it where because of that childhood, it seemed to me, now this might be amateur Freudianism or something, but that, you know, your, your, your time in school, well, you mentioned you were kind of bullied and stuff and, and people maybe thought you were a little different. And yet you had this love of fashion. And it seems almost like poetic justice that when you go to do something in life, you make fashion that is, you know, maybe a little different because of what you encountered in school. Is, is that a fair way of looking at it? I mean, I think it's more that my interest in fashion was sparked purely because of uh, what you wore um, meant kind of or um, contributed to your social status. I think when mm. you grow up the way that I did, which was, you know, without money and without branded clothing and, you know, in a caravan <laughs> somewhere slightly chubby, um, it was, you know, it was harder. But, you know, when I did manage to sort of earn some money and buy my Adidas tracksuit, which was obviously my dream. Um, you know, all of a sudden it was a different social status. So I think it was a real uh, combination of my passion for creativity, which was just an innate. I was born that way. And then um, I guess the fashion part came in with, you know, I guess it's like um, subcultures, isn't it? It's, you know, mm. people want to be part of something. And, you know, having a tracksuit back in that time was was in and have I mean having a shell suit wasn't in which is what, what I started off off in and you know I guess I sort of learned quite quickly what you know let's say um I mean poor clothes I don't mean to say it like that but you know no, I what, know yeah what poor clothes versus what branded clothes did for you for you at that yeah. time I mean it was it was epic as a teenager you know yeah yeah absolutely and and you know an, another thing I, I like about the documentary and I suppose about your persona is that to people like me you know who doesn't, I don't have a huge interest in, in fashion. I don't read fashion mm -hmm. magazines and I've never been terribly fashionable, but there can, it's, it can seem from the outside looking in, there can be a huge amount of pretentiousness when it, when people are looking at runways in Paris and yet you seem to be bursting the bubble of that and saying that fashion is for everyone in two senses, one that anyone can get into it also that it has to be sustainable for everybody. Yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, I mean, Becky's done an incredible job. You know, this, she's the true hero of this storytelling because without her, you know, obviously what I've been doing wouldn't be, be seen. Um, but for me, my favourite part of the film is... I'd like, I like. I think it's a hopeful documentary, which mm. most documentaries in this sort of field, it doesn't have to be in this industry, are very kind of like, you know, here's the problem. And I think they're important, they're valid. Um, but this one has this sort of hopeful narrative. And my favourite part is, you know, if this kid from a caravan can come and do this, then mm. maybe I can too. And that doesn't just 
you know, um, spans sustainability, that spans another, you know, student maybe, you know, in rural England somewhere who doesn't mm-hmm. know if they're ever going to be able to achieve something in whatever industry it might be. I think, you know, it's that kind of not, it's, it's the sort of Cinderella story, isn't it, in a way? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's been really hard, um, but it's doable. And I just think that's maybe a beacon of light for people not sure that they could do it too. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Becky, what do you hope people might get from this when they watch it? My hope is that, you know, in sharing with audiences, um, you know, the whole supply chain, how clothes are made and the environmental impact and waste that are created um, for making clothes, the impact on people and on animals. I hope that it encourages people to reconsider their relationship with fashion and with clothes to buy less and to buy better. And I also hope that it empowers people um, to make better choices when they're faced with greenwashing. Um, because, uh, you know, sustainability is such a buzzword right now in the fashion industry and every major brand is using this word. And I hope that it's, and it's very, very hard for customers to discern who's the real deal and who isn't. And so I hope that in sharing Amy's very holistic 360 view of sustainability that, that encompasses so many different fab facets across people, planet, animals, I hope that people are are able to have a better understanding of what sustainability really means. And it's not just about a fast fashion brand putting out a conscious line that's made from some organic cotton and recycled polyester. And and all of a sudden, you know, that's sustainability. It's not. Um, So yeah, those two things, those two things, definitely. High hopes. Well, 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 let's hope that's, that's the effect it has. Amy, finally, uh, you know, you talk about there's a hopeful message in the movie. And again, I don't want to give any spoilers because it's a very interesting journey in the movie that Becky captures. And uh, I don't want to give any spoilers on that. But let's just say there are some powerful proponents of no frills that are shown towards the end of the movie. Everyone from your future king or your king incumbent <laughs> to all sorts of stars and a previous guest on this show, Emma Thompson, all wearing and talking about your clothes. So I know you got into this, you know, for, for social change, but you must be delighted what happened with no frills. Yeah. I mean, if this is a beacon of light for anyone as well, the truth is when I first set out into this industry, I was just trying to fit in with how the industry worked. And I think Mm. once I did this and I focused what was authentically me and um, my passions and my beliefs, my business became much more successful. And I think that that I guess is, I mean, it's advice, I guess, isn't it? But it's it's hope, isn't it? That, you know, if you do mm. something that's true and true to your heart, the success that comes off it is much greater than when I was trying to be something that, that didn't really fit. Absolutely, absolutely. And Amy, like, this isn't a business show, but but I'm just curious, like, if people, because I've watched the movie and it seems to me that your clothes are truly sustainable as, as much as anyone could could make them. If people want to buy Mother of Pearl or No Frills, is, is, there, a, is there a website or something that they could go to? Yeah, yeah, we sell our clothes online and it's just motherofpearl.co.uk. Um yeah, it's all there. Super. Yes. Well, I will ask. I will ask for no retainer on that. Uh, <laughs> it's it's been lovely to talk to you both. As I say, uh, Fashion Reimagine will be in the IFI from the third of March, and it is well worth a watch. Thank you both very much, guys. 
Thank you so, so much, much for having us, John. That was filmmaker Becky Hutner talking to me about her film, Fashion Reimagined. And its uh, subject matter, you could say, is the fashion designer, Amy Powney, who you heard me talking to there as well. And their documentary, Fashion Reimagined, is out next week, 3rd of March. And as I mentioned, you can see it in the IFI and other select cinemas. That is it for this week. A lot of stuff coming up in the show in the coming weeks. Everything from Paul Meskell to Emily Watson to Andy Circus, all sorts of things. A busy March lays ahead, my friends. Thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped on the show this week, as she does every week. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. here on Newstalk. Enjoy the remainder of your weekend and have a safe week ahead, and I'll talk to you next week.